0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, Life and Money with Christine Tay. My name is Christine Tay. I'm the founder of Tay Financial Coaching, where I help people transform their relationship with money. I am also a LinkedIn coach helping people with their personal brand on LinkedIn. I also love talking about life and self-growth, since spirituality is an important part of my life. In this podcast, you will hear talks about money, social media, and life. I hope you enjoy the episodes. Please leave a review if you do. I'd really appreciate that. You can check my services and LinkedIn online course by going to my website at That's financialcoaching.com. Thank you. Today's episode is a live stream interview with certified financial planner Matt Goren in this live stream interview we talk about the topics such as his career change from psychology to personal finance the alternative business models for working with lower income clients a peek inside personal finance academia and communicating with clients and a lay audience i hope you enjoy the show and please feel free to leave me a review if you do so i can reach more people thank you and enjoy the show
1: Hi Matt. Yo. So yes, it works now.
2: Hi everyone. I see a couple of people who joined in. So thanks for joining, uh, Matt. So um yeah, so Matt joined me. He's, uh, you know, he's a psychologist and now he turned CFP. So he has a very interesting story to share. So Matt, why don't you um introduce yourself, you know, what, you know, a little bit about yourself. And we'll get deep dive into how you became from a psychologist to now a therapist uh, sure. to a CFP.
3: Thanks for having me, Christine, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to be on one of your first guests. I think you've been at this just a few months. Uh, My name is Matt Gorn. I'm professor of financial planning at the American College of Financial Services, which is the oldest and largest educator of certified financial planners among other certificates in the financial planning space. Um, Mm -hmm. So I now train the advisors themselves or people who want to be advisors. And a lot Mm -hmm. of what I focus on is how to communicate with clients, how to uh, demystify what we do and have them actually change their behavior. And in my past, I was focused more on financial literacy. I uh, was teaching undergraduates at the University of Georgia, uh, Mm -hmm. something like 2000 students a year. I did that for a couple of years. um, And that was the largest class of any kind at Georgia while I was teaching that. And uh, while I was in that world, I was also doing a lot of pro bono work trying to find how to bring financial literacy to your uh, like lower income folks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've kind of been all over the place as we'll discuss more. Uh, That's two career shifts even in the last couple of years already.
2: Yeah. Wow. So, so you, you major in psychology first and you, you went through finishing your, your PhD in psychology, right? So it's like Mm
1: -hmm. after
2: so many years, like what shifted, like what were your focus there and then like what shifted to now, finance the CFP, like what was, when did the change of heart happen? So
3: 2013, seven, amazingly, over seven years ago already is when the change of heart happened. Um, I was a PhD student at UC Berkeley at the time. And uh, for like a little history lesson for Mm. seven and a half years ago, the job market was garbage back then. So it was really (laughs) tough to get a job in psychology Uh. at that time. Um, and also at that same time, psychology was going through what was called the replication project where Mm -hmm. people were trying to replicate our studies Mm -hmm. and they were failing to do that. Our stuff was not replicating. Oopsie Mm -hmm. daisy. So it's all, it was kind of, I don't know, a lot of it was fake, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was just getting burned out with the whole field and I was heavily involved in student government at the time. And Mm -hmm. someone asked me to give a talk on anything is like part of this rotating speaker Mm -hmm. series. And I said, well, how about I give a talk on what I do to survive in the San Francisco Bay area on Mm -hmm. very low income as a graduate student in a very expensive part of the country. And I said, sure, yeah, go for it. Tell us what (laughs) you do. And I did. And that Uh was like the most fun I ever had giving a talk. And, uh, I got the advice from some uh, from a business professor, like, go get your CFP. Just give it a try. And I, I started enrolled in the program, and I enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. so over a three-year period, starting in late 2013, I just did more and more personal finance work. I did less and less psych work. Oh. Um, I really like personal finance. I really like our field, uh, and mm-hmm. it's, it's been a really great transition for me. And some other folks that I know who also made the transition, I think, like it a lot. So once Mm -hmm. I really got my foot in and started doing more of the personal finance stuff, it was like everything I did was better than what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. Um, So it felt good and it pays better, which helps.
1: Yeah,
2: That's so 11. you you were from the Bay Area, actually. I am moving out of the Bay Area. I'll be in Las Vegas in like uh, a couple of days, in about a week. So, so you're um. So tell me more about like okay. So how much were you making back then, and then like how did you survive at that time?
3: Um. So when I first moved to Berkeley in 2011, I was making twenty three or twenty four thousand, mm-hmm. something like that, and then mm-hmm. I just I mean that's tough, as you know, right? You're living yep. there. That's like yes. nearly impossible to live out there in that little. <laughs> so I started doing anything that I could, uh, like consulting work, ex- teaching extra classes, any way that I yeah. could make money. I was doing that. So by the by, 2014, I think I got up to like 35,
1: mm-hmm.
3: which is still not a lot of money in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I was struggling quite a bit, but then. I was living with roommates I was and I was moving a lot to chase cheap housing because that's, mm. that's really the root of the problem out there yeah yep. yep um and didn't I sold my car in 2012 didn't have a car Was living as cheap as I could so I was making it work I didn't take any student loan yeah or anything. yeah um, but wow yeah, it, was, it was tough
2: yeah thirty five thousand. that's that's like what after tax 2000 something after tax. And then like the rent alone is like, I don't know back then how much it is, but now like I'm moving to Vegas. It's like one bedroom, one bath is $1,200. And someone LinkedIn messaged me. They're moving here to the Bay area Mm -hmm. and asked me about the cost. Like, yeah they're coming from texas to here i think that's like you're gonna triple your expenses so it's like they're telling me it's like you know um three thousand i I mean one bedroom like the close here for luxury apartments like 2600 that's more than double in las vegas plus the housing is just it's just crazy here i mean like the weather here is awesome but then you know financially i think you know sometimes it might not be make the most sense so
3: you you can enjoy it i mean that was my experience is like Mm -hmm. the first six months when i moved there in 2011, I did every weekend. I was doing something. I was going mm-hmm. out and exploring all the mere mm-hmm. woods and Alcatraz yeah. and all the stuff, right? I was doing all this stuff. Yeah. And then, like, six months later, I was like, okay, I've done the things. Yeah. Now <laughs> it's, I'm just going to do normal stuff. You know, you watch TV, you, yeah, yeah. you go home, eat dinner, you go to bed, you know, just yeah. regular, everyday kind of stuff. And I was like, I'm paying so much just to live. <laughs> Just exactly Just Like I could be watching TV and, you know, eating <laughs> dinner anywhere in the world. I know. <laughs> so what am I doing here? Um, yeah. Yep. I, I couldn't afford to do the stuff. And I remember yeah. uh, like uh book of Mormon. You remember that? It was like a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. I know, like, this no, I haven't too. seen that. Mm-hmm. They did yeah. this uh, Broadway show called book of Mormon. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was like, Oh, they're coming to town. I really want to see book of Mormon. Yeah. uh, so I looked up the ticket prices and it was like 280 bucks a person. (laughs) And I was like, there's no universe where I'm going to pay that. And then I'm dating someone, so, you know, double that, right? (laughs) Exactly. 550, whatever, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to do for a night out, 550 bucks just to go to the show. Yep. Yep. And then the BART and an Uber and blah, 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 blah. It's like going to be a $700 night. Exactly. (laughs) And as you said, I'm making like 2000 something take home. Yeah. So for one night, I'm going to blast through like a third of my entire monthly income. So no, I never went. I never saw it. So I'm like, cool. I live in this cool area. I live in one of the coolest (laughs) places in the world. And I hate it because I'm never doing anything.
2: (laughs) So so where, where did you move out to?
3: Uh, 2016 I moved to Athens, Georgia which is okay. literally like the opposite it's almost as far away in every sense as you can be <laughs> um, yeah. so my uh, well when I first moved to Athens I was I lived right across the street from campus which can be mm-hmm. expensive but I Airbnb'd
1: mm-hmm. uh,
3: in, during the football games U- University of Georgia mm-hmm. right so the Bulldogs and the mm-hmm. big football yep. team and all that and so I was Airbnb in my house every football mm-hmm. game so yeah. I lived rent free in Athens because mm. I just left my house when I yep. did that. So it was the same sort of thing I was doing in San Francisco, but the difference was uh, my take-home pay was higher because I was a professor at Georgia, and then also mm-hmm. the expense, every other expense was so low. Yep. So I went yep. from living basically paycheck to paycheck in the Bay mm-hmm. Area
1: mm-hmm.
3: to uh, maxing out my four hundred three b maxing out my IRA, matching, maxing mm-hmm. yep. a, all that. Yep. yep. And, you know, and I did make a little more, I guess, because when I, I was not a grad student, when I left San Francisco, mm-hmm. I think I made 55 grand my last year in San Francisco, I made 55 grand my first year in Athens, but again, so same mm-hmm. income, right. But then going yep. from paycheck to paycheck to. Yep. Exactly. And yep. most
2: of it was from the housing costs, I assume, right? Yeah. yeah it's just, it's yeah, biggest, it's yeah. Yep. I mean, I could afford to live here in Silicon Valley, but I'm like, with my business, I can run from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Why not just go to somewhere where there's no state income tax right. and housing costs is like more, you save at least half of it. So it just doesn't make sense. I live here 20 years. Like, it's time to go somewhere else to yep. explore. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, tell. Yeah. So tell me about, so it seems like um you have passion for financial literacy and then for, I guess, people who probably don't make as much. So tell me, like, what was your business model and like, how did you set it up so you can help lower income clients? And by lower income clients, like, what do you mean? Like, how much are they making? And then it also depends on the area.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, so I worked with uh, college students. I worked uh, undergrads, graduate students. I worked mm-hmm. with children. I worked. Uh, I've since moving, I worked with uh, some senior mm-hmm. citizen folks. So it's really been uh-huh. the whole,
1: yeah, like yeah, all
3: sorts of people. And I've, yep. um, when I was in the Bay area, um, it was gen like low income by anyone's definition.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. So like I did a little bit of work with job core. These are people who are late teens, like mm-hmm. 16 to 20 I think is the oldest and they're either unemployed or they're working minimum wage. So mm-hmm. Like when I say low income in that sense, I mean like nothing, like nearly (laughs) zero. Uh, Some of the other uh, organizations I was helping with, same idea. Like back then, I think the wealthiest person I worked with was maybe 50 grand a year income. And again, that's San Francisco dollars. So, yeah, yeah, that is not much. Um, Yeah. So, uh, most of the work that I did out there was either Uh, Well, it was through nonprofits, was through some kind of nonprofit. So um, Mm -hmm. UC Berkeley University nonprofit did some work Mm -hmm. with them. That's where the undergrads and grad students came in. YWCA, Operation Mm Hope, like I said, Job Corps. Um, And then there there were a few fintech companies and like new businesses that I was doing consulting with Mm -hmm. um, that I never was an employee for, never did any work for them, but I got a lot of exposure to different business Mm -hmm. models. Yep. So really the focus for me was not let me start up a business on my own and let me work with a thousand clients a year, whatever you got to do. It was Mm -hmm. let me bounce around from organization to organization. And I probably was like a dozen, 12 to 15 organizations, somewhere in that ballpark that I in some capacity worked with in like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And so I got to see tons of models tons Mm -hmm. of different ways that you might solve this problem. How do you work with low-income people? Yep, yep. And uh, that, to me, then came up with this idea of, um, like, you've got your own, you've got you, your your business. Mm -hmm. And usually how we think about your business relating to a customer is like, I've got my node. And then there's this, uh, let me get in my camera. There we go. So I got like my business and then I've got my customer. And the Mm -hmm. money flows from my customer to me, right? Mm -hmm. The customer, uh, it's all reversed. I'm like, no, (laughs) here. here. So my customer pays me. I can't remember which node was which. So my customer is paying me. The money flows in between the two of us. Mm -hmm. But when we're working with a low income clientele, Mm
1: -hmm. there
3: can be, and there often has to be a third node in this business structure. So you've got your business, you've got the the client, the Mm -hmm. one who you are serving. And then Mm -hmm. there's a third group. So it's more like a triangle. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get my webcam like a triangle (laughs) where the Mm -hmm. customer Mm
1: -hmm. and the
3: client Mm -hmm. are not the same entity. The Mm -hmm. client who you're serving Mm -hmm. may not and often isn't going to be paying you. The customer is going to be paying you. So think about the model like with Facebook is a good example of this. The client is the user. Mm-hmm. You and me and whoever else is mm-hmm. on Facebook where we yep. have our Facebook profile. It's all free. Yep. We are not paying Facebook anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who's the actual customer? The customer is some advertiser.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. So exactly.
3: the client gets to use Facebook, the company, for free. Mm-hmm. The customer is getting access to the clients. Mm-hmm. And that's how the whole thing works. And it's one of the most lucrative businesses in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So if you start thinking about how can we split up the client from the customer, it introduces different business models. Mm -hmm. In the personal finance space, you can have someone writing a blog who's sponsored by Mm -hmm. some bank. So now I'm giving free general Mm -hmm. financial knowledge to whoever, my audience, Mm -hmm. being sponsored by a bank, by a brokerage, by whoever. If mm-hmm. you're doing a podcast, exact same thing. And yep. I had a podcast for a few years that was sponsored by different financial advisors, mm-hmm. generally. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'd say, you're listening. Thank you. Meet our sponsors. Go mm-hmm. work with our sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very common way you can do it. In the nonprofit space, you might get a grant from the federal government or from a state mm-hmm. government or from a city. And it's very common in the uh, mm-hmm. financial literacy world. And when I was in mm-hmm. Georgia, we had a grant for one of our nonprofit free financial advising things that was eight million dollars from the federal mm-hmm. government yep so we didn't charge anything in mm-hmm. fact we paid people to come which i thought was uh <laughs> backfired badly i don't think that was <laughs> a smart thing to do but that's what we did uh-huh. um so it if you're thinking about what is my business what do i want to do am i providing general knowledge mm-hmm. okay then maybe getting some kind of referrals if you send a customer if you send a client, I should say, to a credit card company and the credit card company signs them up, Mm -hmm. you can get paid $200 to $800 for that referral, depending on what it is. Yep. Yep. So if you believe that credit cards are appropriate or suitable, or ideally Mm -hmm. you're a fiduciary, so you think it's in their best interest, if you think it's in the client's best interest to go get this certain credit card, and you send them there after establishing that relationship, you might get paid two or three hundred dollars for that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's probably more than that client was going to pay you in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So you're better off, the client's better off, the credit company's better off. Everyone's in that scenario. Student loan refinancing mm-hmm. is another one. So yep. buy credible common bond, all these will pay you. Uh, $100 to $200 in that range per person who signs up to get their loans refinanced. Mm-hmm. So if you're working with people who just graduated from college and they have a lot of debt, they're not willing to pay you anything. Well, can mm-hmm. you get their loans refinanced? And then you're making, say, $150 per person.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Generally speaking, it's good to refinance your loans if you're high income enough and, and so on. So mm-hmm. those people mm-hmm. then can generate you a lot of income that otherwise uh, you couldn't get. So is that your aim? Is that the appropriate clientele for you? Are you more in the nonprofit space and you want to get grants? What uh, I did not see work, what I saw a lot of people try, but I never really saw work was mm-hmm. I want my clients to pay me directly. How low can you go? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's $20 for financial advice, a sustainable business model. Yeah,
2: nope. No. <laughs> Unless you live in Asia where it's like super cheap. You can live over a thousand dollars a month. <laughs>
3: sure. But here's the other thing that we noticed is yeah to go from zero dollars, so it's free, to twenty, you might lose ninety percent of your clients. Mm-hmm. You might lose ninety yep. percent of the people who want to work with you to go from mm-hmm. zero to twenty. Got Maybe it. Eighty yep. percent going zero to one, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah so um People will not want to come in. The funnel shrinks dramatically as you start charging people. And then again, you do this math. How much financial advice can you provide for $20? Yep, exactly. So now you're doing groups because that's the only way that you can make it work. Mm-hmm. If you're working with yep. groups of people, how good is your advice? Mm-hmm. If you're working groups, at what point does it stop being individualized? Exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah, that's why I haven't done group coaching yet because I feel like Uh, you know, personal finance is very personal, right? So there's only so much that you Mm -hmm. can give advice on, you know, because I, and also it can get pretty sensitive. So, so I'm still exploring that option, but I, um. You know Most of my clients is all oh, one on one. There's no group coaching right now. So, so that's that's actually really interesting. So basically, this is kind of model, uh, almost like an affiliate model. You know, like it's like you you have an affiliate yeah. with people. So of course, like you you want to make sure that it's for the best interest of the client. They do have to consolidate. They will have to consolidate anyway. But then it's through your referral, through your affiliate, Then you get paid, and they don't pay you anything. So is that how you you've been running your business model since you started your own company? I assume you have your own company, right?
3: I gave that up. Uh, okay, when I became a professor at Georgia. I was like, All oh, right, you get.
2: Gave- <laughs> so good. you went from a psychologist to CFP and now a professor. Okay, so yeah. so how many years were you running your own company?
3: Um, so I was working for an RIA mm-hmm. for ten months. I was exploring this different consulting stuff because, again, mm-hmm. I, I in terms of who paid me for financial advice. Uh, and rather than the RA who paid me, I don't know that mm-hmm. anyone ever did, but the, mm-hmm. uh, so I did consulting where I was helping these different organizations mm-hmm. I did a lot Got of the pro bono work in that. I'm mm-hmm. um, trying to figure this out. And so I'd say like, Hey, how much would you be willing to pay for this? Uh, like mm-hmm. I worked for nerd wallet exclusively for three months. Mm-hmm. And we had the mm-hmm. whole thing. How much would you pay nerd wallet for this and what it can mm-hmm. look like? Why did we yeah. see operation Hope? Blah, blah, blah. There's a few of them that I, we tried out with um, and mm-hmm. that the, that consulting stuff lasted something like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it. Uh, so I gave up on all that because the reality for me was I wanted to help all these people.
1: Yeah.
3: But it was pulling teeth to get that to work until then I said, oh, well, I'm just going to go be a professor,
1: mm-hmm. teach
3: 2,000 students a year,
1: mm-hmm.
3: teach uh, another uh, I don't know, whatever it was, 200 or so people in the Aspire clinic at UGA, mm. also pro bono advising. I'm going to go work with all these thousands of people. I'm going to get a salary. Yeah. And the University of Georgia has a public service mission. So they mm. want to do it because of that mission. Uh, we got this $8 million federal grant. So the money's coming in from the grant and that allowed yeah. me to do what I wanted to do and then serve that many more people. Yeah. Um, and then there's one other business model I wanted to mention before we like get off of this, which I think can work really well. If you get away from very, very low income, which I think to summarize before, it's nonprofit grant funded or, mm-hmm. as you said, it a, some kind of affiliate model. I, mm-hmm. I just don't in years, right, years of reading about this and trying to do it and all this. Yeah, It's really one of those for the very low income people. I, I would suggest Everybody stop trying to get people who have no money to pay you with their no money. Just don't <laughs> bother. There's always something better for them to spend their money on than you. That's yeah, the yeah. nature of it, right? If they're yeah, struggling yeah. with eviction,
1: yeah,
3: your your fiduciary duty to them is fire me, <laughs> free up the money you're saving from me. Yeah. That's the reality for very low-income people, nonprofit or affiliate. Uh, Mm -hmm. the other thing though, is what about your middle income, working class people, middle class people? Uh, Mm -hmm. there are a few companies with a business model that I really think is amazing. I highly recommend. I think it's going to blow up, you know, become very big. Uh, smart path is a company here in Atlanta that fits this very well. Uh, you go to an employer and you offer a con they pay you the employer pays you and then in exchange for that payment you make yourself and your team available to the employees usually for free maybe for an extremely low like copay,
1: mm-hmm. so to
3: speak and so companies like SmartPath go into all these corporations the corporations mm-hmm. want to provide an employee benefit we mm-hmm. know that the more financially secure you are as an employee, the more productive you are at your job. Mm-hmm. you're not stressed yep. all the time, you're not looking for new work. Exactly. So from the employer's point of view, this is a good thing. This is a productivity enhancement. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the employees get free financial advising and then your company mm-hmm. gets this nice contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, most Americans are employed. Um, most Americans could also use financial advice. So it's a a business, an employee benefit that they value. Exactly. Um, And so again, that little triangle idea that your business is better off, the individual is better off and the company's better off. Everybody wins. Mm -hmm. Not for super low income because your McDonald's is not going (laughs) to do. Yeah. I know, unfortunately, but your middle income people, um, do benefit from it a lot. And that to me, in my experience, my opinion on this is that's the model that is going to solve this middle market problem. Yeah. I think that's where it's going to be. Exactly. Um,
2: yeah. So, um, what do you think of wealth managers? Because I think like when I when I was trying to explore, um, you know, getting to the personal finance field, so I was a little turned off by the financial advisory world. Because I live in Silicon Valley, like, yeah. like everyone I talk to, they're just so focused on finding the wealthy people so they can manage mm-hmm. their money. So, so when I was looking for one, I really just wanted to find some CFP or professional to help me understand money or just teach me. I I didn't want anyone to manage my money, but they were just all focused on either selling me insurance, whole life yeah. insurance to be exact, because they get a commission, or like they, they want to manage my money. If you don't have a hundred thousand dollars, they're not even gonna want to bother to talk to you. Cause and I'm, I'm like,
1: That's how right. does that is. solve
2: any Problem. So I was really turned off. So that's why like I decided to be a financial coach because I feel like mm-hmm. I don't want to be like those. And then if you look at Yelp, like in the Bay Area, financial coach, I'm the highest rated in the entire Bay Area. Like there's there's no no other. So what does that tell you? It's like nobody, there's no coach here who just wanna right. help people who are kind of like what we're trying to solve. So I'm I'm you know, right. I'm very passionate about this, and then I know not everyone's ready to pay for my one-on-one coaching, so I'm working on a financial literacy course as well. So I this is affordable, and then like I do need to explore the route that you're telling me. I don't, I haven't gone to that yet. It's mostly just pay directly, so I'm. This is really interesting to learn about the third model. So, so the university you worked at, um. I'm also sad that, you know, that our country, right, there's no financial literacy that is mandated even in middle school. Like, I think the earliest, I think we can probably start in middle school, right? But it's not by law. So it's like, so So I'm sad. Like, the clients who come to me, like, you know, like, okay, they, they, they are where they're at because, first of all, their parents are also financially illiterate. So mm-hmm. they don't learn that at home. The parents are probably, you know, broke themselves. The parents don't teach the kids about anything about financial literacy. Then they go to school they also don't learn that. So where are they going to learn, right? So so that's great. That I don't know how, how far, I mean, your university, like, I mean, what are their initiatives and who are they, um, you know, who are they target? I mean, what schools are they teaching right now? I guess it's just probably just in your area for now.
3: Yeah, well, and uh, University of Georgia is not going through the school system, mm-hmm. which I wish they had. There's a, mm-hmm. me and that program did not agree on some stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I was constantly complaining we weren't reaching enough people. Uh, Mm -hmm. We would try to go out and find people one-on-one. I think why I like the business, the -the go-to-the-employer model that I said before, Mm
1: -hmm. why
3: I totally agree with you, we should be doing this in schools, is Mm -hmm. because you can go where people already are and you can reach way more people if you go where they already are Mm -hmm. rather than making them come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. how hard there's always something on netflix there's always <laughs> some other distraction yeah yeah so why are people going to go on their wednesday night or whatever to come hang out with you yeah <laughs> they're going to uh listen to you if you show up at their workplace and they get to take an hour break to come and exactly. talk to you they're gonna uh, yep, if you're yep. in the school system and you take over their math mm-hmm. class mm-hmm. and instead of talking about addition and subtraction in some abstract yeah. Yeah. Concept two plus two equals four. $2 plus $2 equals 4 2 dollars 2 dollars equals 4 dollars right? Teach these concepts in the regular class where the people already are. I think yeah. that's a great idea. Uh, we used to teach personal finance in our schools until the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And then uh, someone's bright idea was it's better to do a bunch of standardized testing than to teach mm-hmm. people practical life skills.
1: Mm hmm.
3: Yep. oopsies uh so and since then we've gotten rid of it across the board so you're right we don't teach it uh operation hope is a, a nonprofit, national nonprofit that does reach out to some schools uh, uh what is it called funding funding the mm-hmm. future
1: mm-hmm.
3: i think that's what it's called is another one that goes yep. into schools it's like rock and roll based something like that yeah the music yeah. musically
2: based yeah, yeah i could
3: be going into the schools more
2: Exactly. I do hope so. I think that's kind of like one of my passions. So hopefully later on, you know, I can uh, do something for that. Actually, oh, Jennifer Bush from Facebook, she's actually my friend. She say, there are early financial planners out there. Garrett Planning Network is one of the organization not not fat too. So Jennifer, yeah, I, I'm. That was when was it? That was five years ago. That was before I became a financial coach. So I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything about how the CFP works, financial. This network works. So, so had I know better, I would probably have hired early financial planner because then the thing was that um I short sell my home back in I don't know. When was it when the market crashed, like 20, 2011, 12 or something? So so I, I, I regret it. That was actually my worst financial decision. I, I wrote an mm-hmm. article about that because then it's, it's Silicon Valley. So it really it already uh, recovered by a short sale it so so it was um yeah but then like i, I was trying to f- find help but i couldn't find help you know and then it was just if, if i had new financial coaches or early financial planner at the time i would have probably hired someone to actually talk me through this this is a good financial decision but then the only people i could talk to at the time was my the realtor which was representing the buyer and the seller so of mm-hmm. course there's gonna be a conflict of interest and mm-hmm. then like I, I had a cfp at the time but he was someone who was trying to sell me whole life insurance and i'm and i don't have kids and like i didn't see like what's the point in the whole life insurance it was just ridiculous i had to ask him like can you give me the breakdown of like you the financial breakdown you know how much i'm gonna get and all that stuff because i i'm i'm i love excel I, i do analysis very you know well in excel that's all i do all my modeling on i was like i did the analysis i'm like you know, I, I'm losing money from this. I might as well just like buy if I do need life insurance, term life and invest the rest. And I can get a lot more from that if I do need life insurance. But then like life insurance is there for a purpose to insure a life, right? If someone's financially dependent on you, but who's dependent on me? I mean, I have dogs, yeah. I must as well just have a trust, but not an insurance for no, the I dogs.
3: Mean, I, <laughs> I would say like, not only is that CFP not up to the fiduciary standard, I would say that's not a suitable recommendation.
2: Exactly, exactly. Right? If you don't and, have any
3: dependents, right? Yeah, what are they? Do- yeah, doing. Yep, yep. So, yeah, yeah. Let's see if are great. Some of them not so much. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. To so Jennifer's so- point. I think hourly planners are great. A uh, Garrett mm-hmm. is great. is great. I'll throw XYPN mm-hmm. in there as well as a source yeah. for a lot of mm-hmm. um, hourly planners. Yep. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's that. What who are your clients you're trying to serve and what are they willing to pay? And yep, uh, where exactly. like how much do you have to charge per hour for this to make sense for you and for it to make sense for I, them? Exactly. That some CFPs exactly. will charge. I think the average hourly rate for CFPs is something like 250, 200, mm-hmm. 250, somewhere in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a fair rate because how much would you pay a lawyer? And I think we're, you know. Yeah. That, Right, lawyers, VFPs, same basic thing, right? How much is it worth per hour? But how many low-income people can afford that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Zero of them can afford that. How many middle-income people is that? And when I say middle, like keeping in mind, the average American makes what? It's like fifty-two thousand a year, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, fifty-two thousand a year. Americans Mm -hmm. can afford that.
1: Yeah, some, but not
3: nearly all of them. When we start getting into higher income, certainly your Mm -hmm. six figures can afford that. But we're really now talking about a very small percentage of the American uh, public, really. And and Christine, you made this point before. These wealth managers, who are they serving? They're serving an extremely small fraction, yeah, extremely small fraction of the American population. If you look at who is served by financial advisors, it's like (laughs) single-digit It really is. It's single digit percent. Yeah, yeah. So the model works very well for people who have a lot. And you said, a, a, come to me with a hundred thousand, I'll talk to you. That's really low. That is really low AUM.
1: Mm-hmm. Very
3: commonly financial advisors won't talk to mm-hmm. you unless you have a million bucks
1: mm-hmm. of
3: investable assets. That's a very yep. common number. 500,000 is another common breakpoint. Yep. So the that average hundred- net worth is like, 80,000 bucks, something like that is like the average American's total wow. worth.
1: Yeah, so that's forget crazy. It. Not,
3: yeah, they're not going to get that help. So that's where the other models come. Jennifer's point, great point. Work with an hourly planner, especially if you have just a question. Should I short exactly. sell?
2: Yep, you know. exactly. Yep. Um, yep. That then, would have benefited me to have like talked to someone for an hour. I probably wouldn't have sold it. So <laughs> so and it might, just like two hundred
3: fifty bucks might have saved you twenty five thousand dollars.
2: Exactly. And then like, you know what and you know, and then I could I could rent it out and Bay Area rent and that would have paid more, even though it crashed, that would pay more than my mortgage mm-hmm. already. So it's just oh, a yeah. temporary. So anyway, it's, yeah. just, it's just like, it, um, actually, I, I interview. I don't know if you know Dr. Brad Klons is a financial psychologist. Mm-hmm. So he was on my live stream, too. So he was telling me that really people who are very successful, who are rich, they usually have made three big financial mistakes. So he was trying to make me feel better. You have two more to go to. I said, no, I
1: think
3: think one is is enough. I think I'm going to screw up royally two more times. I don't know where he's pulling that number from. That sounds like a good clickbait article. All Um, right. Well,
2: I'm going to trust that he got that from some sort of research. Yeah,
3: Yeah, okay totally
2: there, so so Matt okay so let's talk talk about a peak inside personal finance uh, academia so it's like why don't you mm-hmm. talk more about that
3: so uh like I said I was prefer- professor at Georgia for two years that was undergrad mm-hmm. focused that's kind mm-hmm. of its own beast and then mm-hmm. uh, now I'm at the American College which is the uh, like yep. the train the advisor right so very different animals um very few universities have personal finance programs. Like Georgia has, I think uh, there's you know some debate who's the best in the country.
1: Mm-hmm. Kansas
3: State, maybe they're the best. Texas Tech, maybe they're the best. I think Virginia Tech is also up there. Georgia is up there.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: None of those universities are on lists of, you know, best colleges in the world, usually. Usually, you're talking about your Harvards, your Stanfords, your Berkeleys, or whatever. Um, these None of those places have personal finance programs. Harvard doesn't, Berkeley doesn't, they don't have these kinds of programs. So if you want to get an undergrad financial advisor education, you, you go to one of these, There's, they're not very common yet. Uh, and they're focusing in the like the client relations side more than say a business school would, a business school might teach you about investment management but it's not gonna say, how do you actually change someone's behavior? So if you're if you're at the undergrad level, you know, someone at the undergrad level who's interested in this stuff and wants to be a financial advisor. There are undergrad programs, but they're rare. And if your university has one, great. Check it out. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: They're usually pretty good. I I think a lot of them are very good. Um, The difficulty for those people, for those undergrads is that they pop out and what do they do? think about yourself right if you're listening to this or you know me I can think about this, christine thing but would you hire a 22 year old financial advisor
2: probably not unless you're unless you're a millennial or something like that then maybe because they they might be connect more <laughs> with the person maybe no
3: know. no 22 year old's a millennial christine you've aged out of that they're gen z now that's oh, gen they're- <laughs> z they're <juniors>. no millennials <laughs> Have gray yeah. hair. You see uh, millennials <laughs> have gray hair in it. So it's very hard for a 22 year old to get a start in financial advising. So they come uh-huh. out yeah. and they become paraplanners. Yeah, they um they do analysis work. Um, mm-hmm. They fetch coffee. <laughs> That's the reality. That's that I you know hey that sucks. That's the reality of it because yeah, and then
2: you, they don't make much either, and then they have to like you know I mean they pretty much have to like, uh they don't do much either. And then I never went that route because like when I was trying to interview and look at the different professions, so it was either I work for Edward Jones, which is door knocking that didn't really interest me or life insurance, which you have to sell, but you only make from commission. I'm like, how am I going to live? Like do I need six months worth of saving to even pick anything up. And the fact that, I'm selling, but you're only getting very small percentage. It's not even 50%. Like, most of it is going to the insurance company. I'm like,
1: that's yeah, not working.
2: Not- I want to have everything. I'm working hard for it, and then, like, yeah. I don't get everything. I mean, like, it was ridiculous. So, so, and then also when I was interviewing, I was like, paraplanner, they don't make much out it. I was like, really? And then you don't really get to do anything with the client? So, those, yeah, none of those business models really work for me. So what worked was actually to be just start my own business, a financial coach. I get everything, you know, all the money goes to me, hundred percent. I don't have, I don't need to have a boss. And then like I was pretty good just learning everything, figuring out on my own. So that's why I really love this business yeah. model. And, and yeah. Where,
3: how old were you when that started? You were already in your thirties, right? Early thirties.
2: Yes, I'm. I'm not that young. So I started four years ago. So that was, uh, you know, I was already in my thirties four years ago.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that, you know, and I would say it's if you're already in your 30s and you're doing a career change into it, which is what you did, and that's what I did, um, the, the road's a little bit easier. So it, that's, the, that's the downside of those undergrad programs. It's like just by the nature of you're still young, mm-hmm. are there good jobs waiting for you? Now, here's the, the flip side of that. I will say if you are one of those undergrads and you are willing to stick with it for about eight, 10 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: somewhere in that range. Now you are in your early 30s or you're 30, 32 years old. So right when a lot of other people are deciding to switch into personal finance, that's when I switched in. It sounds like you were around that age, Christine, when you switched in. Um, that's when a lot of people decide this is going to be my second career. Well, mm-hmm. you, the person who got the undergrad degree, you've been at it for eight, nine, 10 years. So mm-hmm. now when someone's deciding who do I want to work with and hire my advisor, I got this 32-year-old who's just starting out,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and I've got this 32-year-old who's got 10 years of experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
3: now the calculus changes again. You want to go with the 32-year-old who's got 10 years experience. Yeah. So lifetime, you're probably better off uh, if you want to be a financial advisor. But at 22 or 23, that's it's tough. It is tough. Um, the RIA world, registered investment advisor world, is a little nicer. It's a little bit nicer because usually when you're junior, the senior planners will let you sit in on the meetings more so than some other businesses. Yeah. Yep. But still, it's not awesome. It's not high level sort of stuff. But if yeah. you are willing to stick with it, um, I think it's it's one of the best jobs in the world. Mm-hmm. if you are willing to stick with it, get rich slow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it be kind of miserable for a little bit, but um, <laughs> that can be a good thing. Uh, and again, I think the undergrad programs, I, I have nothing bad to say about the Georgia program or Kansas State. And I think that's where Brad Klontz, you mentioned him. I think he's out of Kansas State. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of awesome people out of Texas Tech. Um, I don't have anything bad to say about these programs. I think the quality of the education is really there. And because there's so few of these programs, the talent of the educators isn't, spread, it's diluted across the country. Like these programs are able to bring on the best thinkers in personal finance in the world because there's not that many of them. So if that's your passion, you know it, this is what you want to do. Explore those undergrad programs. For uh, people who are more like you and me, who didn't yeah. have it, I didn't know personal finance was a thing until I was like 27. I didn't even heard oh. of it until I was like 27.
2: G- Do you know my friend Liz?
3: Oh, uh, she said, Matt was my
2: GSI at Cal. So,
3: what's GSI? I don't remember Liz Valencia, but uh, uh, I taught a lot of folks. Hi, Liz. Good to see you again.
2: (laughs) What's GSI?
3: Grad student instructor.
2: Oh. Yeah, she's my friend, and like her her husband's cat style Q. You might know her husband, or maybe not. But that's so wow, what a small world. I'm going to message yeah. her about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> she yeah. moved
2: to Phoenix. She was from the Bay Area. She moved to Phoenix too and then bought a house, and now she has an investment property. So it's like, it's just financially oh, make yeah. more sense sometimes to get out. Oh, <laughs> good.
3: Good. To see like that out of he account. doesn't
2: remember. <laughs> All right, no, you're in I'm trouble now, Matt, for not remembering Liz. I'm sorry. <laughs>
3: I did the math at one point. I think I've taught something. I'm like five or 6,000 people I've taught.
2: Uh-huh. Wow. What um, a small world. Okay. I'm going to so, message. Sure. Okay.
3: <laughs> lot of what the heck was I talking about? Oh, so career changer people. Yeah, where do okay. you go? Right? So <laughs> yes. that's more of your um, American college, which is where I'm at now. And we are online with COVID. We're totally online right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're in person, it's usually through a company mm-hmm. so some company will hire us like state farm, very, I have taught a lot of state farm folks, Northwestern mutual, uh, mm-hmm. Ray J. There's a lot of companies that we'll go and work with, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise for individual students, it's online. So you can do it from wherever. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to UC Berkeley's CFP program and that was all in person. So yep. a lot of these, um, like adult education, Extensions of places mm-hmm. like Berkeley will be available. If you want to do career changing, you want to go get your CFP. Check out like your local college. What is my local college doing?
1: Mm-hmm. Do they have a
3: university? Do they have anything? Um, and that's what what I did. Yeah. Um, and then there's others. Uh, the College for Financial Planning is American's biggest competitor. Um, I think they're great people. I'm, I'm not going to trash talk trash about anybody. Um, so they're another online one. CFFP College for Financial mm-hmm. Planning. Mm -hmm. Uh, compare us to them um and then do the adult ed thing and at these institutions the focus is very different it's not a four-year thing you don't show up and and commit to four years like you would in an undergrad uh i finished berkeley's program in a year and a half Mm -hmm. and i did one class at a time and I just did one class, finished it, next class. One class, finished it, next mm-hmm, class. Mm-hmm. So a year and a half. There's you know maybe a few weeks in between mm-hmm. some of them. Uh, at American, same general thing. I think for a typical student is probably a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I'd say CFFP is probably the mm-hmm. same thing. Because people have their full-time jobs.
1: Yes. And yep. they
3: have other things going on. They're doing this at night usually. So our yep. live webinars at American, and I'd assume CFFP is the same or similar, p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern.
1: Mm -hmm. So
3: they're happening at night. And we have other um, what we call intensive review programs, which is two days you do an entire class. Yep. Do not come into those cold, by the way. Do your homework before that two-day intensive thing. Friday, Saturday, done. Mm -hmm. You're done with the entire class. Again, it's thinking what's someone's actual work schedule because this is adult. And the youngest person in the room is usually in their mid twenties. The youngest is mid twenties. And mm-hmm. I've had students who are in their seventies. They just sort of like, ah, oh, I just want to see what, <laughs> retirement, see what this is like. So yeah. much bigger age range, people who are really taking it very seriously because they want to take their career to the next level. State Farm, a lot of times they'll say, we want you to get your, uh, in, in their case, it's a certified financial uh, consultant, CHFC. Mm-hmm. Um, we want you to be able to take your practice to the next level. So we don't expect you to get the certificate and leave. We want you to get the certificate, and now you're better at your job. So mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it's to like get a promotion, get a raise. For some people, it is more like what you and and I did, what you, uh, Christine, what, what you mm-hmm. and me did, where it's like I want to shift, I want to do something different. So I'm currently doing this one thing, I want to do the other. Mm-hmm. Either way, I find these students take this very seriously. It's great. I love working with like you know your forty year old.
2: Exactly. Because
3: uh, they don't screw around. Yep. And then the career outcomes for those people are very different than the undergrad because you already have your gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a prereq to having clients. You already have the gray hair. So you pop out and immediately mm-hmm. you're able to pop into a good job. It's much more yep. easy to do that. So mm-hmm. that's how I started at like 30 years old. That's how I went to the RAA and I was already client facing like day one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other folks who they go from selling insurance to now they're the financial plan and maybe they really mm-hmm. have the background doing that but it's day one as soon as they get that CFP, CHFC, whatever um, so to be able to switch careers into this world can happen really rapidly mm-hmm. and you can go become an employee and be mid-level almost immediately you can do what you did Christine and start up your own financial coaching business like immediately and that's not something that the undergrads can do. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, also, there's a difference in how the professors work. So at your Georges, Kansas State, Texas Techs, and so on, everyone you're going to be working with, every single teacher is a researcher first. They're well-known in the research side of the field. You can go to journal financial planning and their names pop up all over mm-hmm. the place. They're go TED talks and all that stuff. You, you'll see these people. They're like thought leaders in the field. American has some of these people. Wade Fow, one of the most famous thinkers in personal finance right now. He's a professor at American. Michael Finca is right up there in that same category. If uh, if anyone knows who they are, um, there's clowns like me. But for the most part, we have some we have some of those folks. But a lot of the instructors at these american cffp the berkeley program uh san diego state has a program there's you know whatever colleges have these programs it's not usually your well-published thought leader person Mm -hmm. usually it is a practitioner it is someone who's in the financial planning world and either they like to teach And they just want to be in front of people to teach because it's fun. I like to teach. A lot of people like to teach. So here's an excuse to go teach one class in like a low stakes environment. Mm -hmm. Or it's people uh, who are trying to get their business going. And this is a way to get some extra guaranteed income. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the, the adult ed space around this, way more practitioners. And for people who want to be practitioners, they might prefer that. They might prefer to be taught by someone who's doing it themselves Mm -hmm. and is, you know, is learning, uh, learning directly from this person who can say this, this content. Yeah. Theoretically that makes a lot of sense, but you'll never do this. You'll never do this thing. What you'll really do is this. There's Mm -hmm. value to their experience, even though they're not getting published in the journal of financial planning, they're never going to win the Nobel prize in economics like uh, Fama or Thaler, whoever they might have knowledge that's more valuable to you as you're getting your business up off the ground. And they can tell you this is what works for my business. When I was getting started, this might be what works for you well. So now that we've talked about these two things, the undergrad version and then the adult ed version, some very common advice I've heard, and I kind of like this idea as well, is when you're an undergrad, unless you really know and who knows, Very few people know what they want when they're 20. But unless you really really know for sure 100%, go work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Go get your education somewhere else and do some other thing. You have an interest in biology, you want to go be a biologist, go do biology stuff. Go be a psychologist like I did. Go be a real estate agent. Go do a whatever and have your career in that for Mm -hmm. five years, 10 years. Know that world. Know those people. Know what they need as potential future clients. And then when you were ready to make that switch, you still are interested in financial advising, Mm -hmm. go get your adult education, go become a financial advisor that way. And now you have an immediate natural client base. Mm -hmm. If you spent 10 years working as a high school teacher, guess who your clients are going to be? It's all your- With all the teachers yep. probably starting off with your former colleagues. If you worked <laughs> as a biologist, as some researcher, you study COVID nineteen. Yeah. Guess what? Your clients are going to be these uh, virologists. Yep. So you have your ten year career in this other thing, where you're maybe mm-hmm. making more money. You maybe find it more gratifying than being mm-hmm. a paraplaner and fetching coffee. And then <laughs> you go get your CFP, for example, or your whatever yeah. or your certificate. Uh, And then it's kind of, to me, it's almost like that's the best of both worlds. You have a bit of a life. Mm -hmm. Like I can speak to the psychology stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can speak to organizational diversity, which Mm -hmm. is what I um, was uh, doing before. And Liz, I maybe taught cultural psychology too. I don't remember what class Liz was in. That or statistics. I can speak to these other things and I can bring that with me when I'm an advisor. And if I was going to be a financial advisor again, if I was that was my niche, I probably would be working with people who are the social scientists, maybe professors, people who are still living the life that I used to live. I now have mm-hmm. special knowledge that other financial advisors simply don't have. Versus yep. if you just start off as a financial advisor, you don't differentiate yourself because you, who exactly. you serve Every, everyone, yep. which means you serve everyone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of where I, I, I was in the previous career, you know, for almost 20 years before I became a financial coach. And then that kind of like gave me at least like, I'm um, you know, like if you start right away as a financial advisor or whatever, then you don't really have, I mean – but I built my career and then the financial security from those 20 years being in corporate. So that mm-hmm. kind of helped me. So in the, now doing the financial coaching, I feel like I'm kind of semi-retired. You're not, I'm not as desperate. Right. Okay, I gotta make so much money. So at least I can serve the people I wanna serve. So so this is awesome. So, okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, so hey, it's almost at the hour, Matt. I don't wanna, um, I'm trying to make sure that we don't go over the hour. So yeah, how can people find you, Matt? I know you're, I I'm, which social media do you normally hang out at?
3: Uh, none, oh, you <laughs> <laughs> I don't any social media. but people okay. can find me, uh, uh, LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn. You can feel free to add okay. me. Uh, mm-hmm. you can uh, search Matt Gorin, G-O-R-E-N, mm-hmm. my last name, uh, and the American college. That's where I'm a professor now. Uh, if mm-hmm. you're interested in becoming a student at the American college, you know, shoot me an email. I'm happy to mm-hmm. uh, chat or shoot me a LinkedIn mm-hmm. or whatever chat what that would be like, or what else might, if mm-hmm. not us, then who else might be a better uh, fit for you? Yeah. Happy to do that. Uh, email is usually a pretty good way to get to me. I'm on mm-hmm. Facebook too. You can uh, see me post once every month about the <laughs> news article. <laughs> okay. uh, literally don't do anything yeah. on these sites. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, I also have a radio show that's currently on hiatus. I guess I'll mm-hmm. plug that even though we're not making any episodes. Uh, Nothing Funny About Money. Oh, Nothing funny I like about that. Money.org. Check cool, that cool. out um, mm-hmm. and a whole another life before as a psychologist, I was uh, like a comedian of mm-hmm. sorts. Uh, yeah. So we have lots of stupid skits in that, um, all finance related skits, so.
2: Yeah, if you're looking for a guest, <laughs> let me know if that's out of hiatus. I'd love to be a guest yeah. as well. So, um, yeah, I will tag you so people can find you on LinkedIn and then they can add you. And then, um yeah, no, it was really good to, to have you here. And then I'm actually taking CFP classes, the UCSC extension. So you went to UC Berkeley, but I'm in the South Bay. So I'm going to UC Santa Cruz extension, which yeah. is in Santa Clara. So so because I'm moving to Vegas, they said they're doing online now. I actually have two more classes, but I took my time. I was taking a lot of breaks in between. So it's taking longer. Not like you, you went straight, but I was kind of. So I have two more to go and then like i don't know hopefully um they don't change to not offering online but if they do change to not offering online like am i able to just transfer the classes to american college
3: mm-hmm. yeah. So,
2: no-
3: yeah 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 so um yeah i guess maybe we say the way you get your cfp is you need some kind of education requirement you got yours through uc um uh,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Santa cruz i got mine through berkeley Mm-hmm. Other people get it through American. You need the ed requirement, but there's all yep. sorts of ways that you can wave out of doing that. You can, if, if you have a bachelor's degree in finance, for example, they just say, ah, you're good. You have the education requirement
1: mm-hmm. and then you still
3: have to do the other things like the experience requirement and so on. Yep. But like ed requirement is done. And we at American, I'm sure all these uh, universities do this. If like Christine, if you popped in with five of the seven courses, we would just say, okay, these five, they're they they're close enough. Mm-hmm. So she gets to wave out of those,
1: mm-hmm. but we're
3: still going to make you take the last two. And mm-hmm. we'll do this even mix and match where someone will come to us and say, mm-hmm. I'm an accountant.
1: Mm-hmm. I
3: took, or, or I'm an international business major or something like that. Here's these mm-hmm. three courses. Do these three courses look like this one CFP mm-hmm. course? And we're like, all right, sure, fine. You can wave that. <laughs> yeah. So we work with people all the time to waive that yeah. stuff. Okay. Um, so Yeah. If you want online, online ed, the, the wave of the future. Yep. yep.
2: So do you teach or you
0: teach the teachers? You you.
3: No, I, you, both. So I'm oh, okay, an instructor. Cool. Uh, the, I teach the mm-hmm. survey okay. beginner course, intro yep. to yep. financial, Planning. Mm-hmm, anyway, we'll I yep, teach investments. Yep. I mm-hmm. teach the capstone class where everyone does a case study and pretends yep, to work. Yep, exactly.
1: Part. Okay. So, I'm kind
3: of the beginning, the end, and somewhere in the middle so that ah. you can't avoid me.
1: It'll
2: <laughs> okay, work cool. me <laughs>
3: somehow.
1: Cool,
2: cool. Okay. So, if I do decide to transfer, I know who to reach out to. So, it's really good to have you here, Matt. I really appreciate that. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And then I'll be converting this to a podcast so people can listen in if they can't watch the video. So, thank you and have a good day, everyone. Have a good weekend. Bye bye.
3: Thanks, Christine. See y'all.
0: Thank you for listening to my podcast episode. Please feel free to leave a review and follow me on LinkedIn. You can find me by my full name, Christine Tay. That's T-E-H. I am also on Instagram and YouTube under my company name, Tay Financial Coaching. You can check my services and LinkedIn online course by going to my website at www.tayfinancialcoaching.com. I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.